48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. There's another triple-digit increase in new COVID-19 cases. A top expert says recent virus samples suggest the third wave of coronavirus cases was likely brought into Hong Kong by someone who was exempted from quarantine. And former Executive Councillor Barry Cheung is jailed for four years for fraud. The number of new COVID-19 cases confirmed today has reached triple digits again. There were 118 new cases, with all but seven being local cases. Both figures are the highest on record. The source of around 50 of the local cases couldn't be traced, and authorities say there were around 80 additional preliminary positives that need to be confirmed. His Undersecretary for Food and Health, Choi Tak Yi. We will be very closely watching the trend of new cases and also we will still be very closely monitoring uh, the existing measures and whether there's any need to tighten the measures further in order to suppress this wave as soon as possible. And a 63-year-old COVID patient with a chronic illness died this afternoon, bringing the number of COVID-related deaths to 15. Meantime, around 140 sailors are being quarantined on six ships moored off Lama Island after some of the crew tested positive for the virus. They had flown into Hong Kong and had boarded their vessels before their tests came back positive. The seamen are among those exempted from mandatory quarantine upon arrival. The Dean of the University of Hong Kong's Faculty of Medicine says new analysis of recent coronavirus samples suggests that the current wave of COVID-19 infections sweeping across Hong Kong was brought in from outside the territory, most likely by people who are exempted from quarantine. This conflicts with the government's position that the exemption did not trigger the recent surge in infections. Gabriel Leung says the recent samples bear little resemblance to the previous strains that affected Hong Kong earlier in the year. I think that that is the working hypothesis that I have, that it is indeed perhaps under the exempted categories um, who may have been asymptomatic or very mildly symptomatic individuals who then went on perhaps uh, to uh, have cross-infected, let's say, uh, our public transport workers, for example, taxi drivers, who then congregated uh, in a high-risk setting like a Chantang. Uh, and then really seeded uh, at least uh, one or two major local clusters, and then it sort of spread from there. With hospital beds quickly filling up amid the surging cases, the hospital authority has confirmed that it'll start sending some recovering coronavirus patients to the Leiyumun Park and Holiday Village in Chai Wan, which has been using as a quarantine centre for close contacts up to now. The first batch of around 30 patients will be transferred tomorrow and the facility can house up to 350 patients at full capacity. The authorities' Larry Lee is heading the initiative and he says only those who are in good health will be transferred. Firstly, age less than 50 and also they have to have the fever down for more than 48 hours and also they, they need to be mobile, they need to be in good health and also they don't have any major long-term disease and also they don't have any diarrhea. And of course they can't be a small kid, they can't be a pregnant lady. Okay? But we do accept some family if, as a special case. Kowloon Motorbus says it's in discussions with the transport department about how it can further adjust services because fewer people are travelling because of the pandemic. Gary Leung is head of operations for KMB's planning department. There will be some guidelines like 
the server adjustment during the peak hours and inter-peak period for the headway would not be extended by more than five minutes, while for the period after 9pm, the adjustment would not be more than 10 minutes. Based on our current adjustment, we'll try our best to keep there is no layoff, no pay cut and no, no pay leave for our frontline staff. An ex-advisor to the former Hong Kong chief executive C.Y. Leung has been sentenced to four years in jail for defrauding the Securities and Futures Commission and cheating a company out of tens of millions of dollars. Joanne Wong reports. The offences relate to Barry Chung's time as the chairman of the Hong Kong Mercantile Exchange between May 2012 and its collapse in May 2013. The district court found that Chung had conspired with the firm's chief financial officer, Jackie Choi, to defraud the SFC into letting it keep its license by hiding the exchange's true financial position. Choi, who pleaded guilty and acted as a witness for the prosecution, was sentenced to a year in jail. Chung was also convicted on a separate charge of cheating a company called Sinomax Finance out of $30 million, with the money going to a firm owned by him. You're listening to RTHK. The time is just after five minutes past 11. The government has sharply criticised the UK government for offering a path to British citizenship for around 3 million Hong Kong people, calling it a deliberate violation of pledges made at the signing of the Joint Declaration in 1984. The SAR government also said it supported Beijing's announcement that it was considering countermeasures, including not recognising British national overseas passports as valid travel documents. Richard Pine has details. In what it described as a solemn statement, the government said it deplores and opposes the UK's new policy to ease the path to citizenship for those with British national overseas status. It said that when the Sino-British Joint Declaration was signed in 1984, the two sides exchanged memoranda in which Britain clearly pledged not to confer the right of abode in the UK on BNO passport holders who are Chinese nationals in Hong Kong. It said it was hypocritical for London to deliberately violate its pledge, calling it a political manoeuvre. The government also said it supports an announcement from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Beijing, which said China would consider not recognising BNO passports as valid travel documents and reserves the right to take further measures. The SAR government said it would follow up accordingly. The new policy from the UK government, as well as an earlier decision to suspend an extradition agreement with the SAR, came as a response to Beijing's imposition of the new national security law here, which Britain says breaches the terms of the joint declaration. The Hong Kong government called on the UK to stop interfering in the affairs of the SAR and return to what it called the normal tracks. Lao Su Kai, the vice president of Beijing's top think tank on Hong Kong, said he expects Beijing will retaliate against the UK's financial and economic interests. Not only in relation to the BNO, but also in relation to the prohibiting Huawei from doing any business in UK. So basically, I think Beijing will take actions against Britain's economic and financial interests, primarily weakening the ties. For example, it is quite unlikely that Beijing would continue to try to develop London as a major overseas Roman B centre. Observers who monitored the pro-democracy camp's primary election earlier this month say they noticed an apparent effort by some people to take down information about voters at dozens of polling stations. The election observation project sent observers to almost all 250 stations and found what it called suspicious-looking people at around 50. They were said to have taken photos of the queue and were seen to have written down information about the crowd on their phones. 
The project's co-founder, Kenneth Chan, says it appears the data was sent to the mainland. We have actually probed a little bit further into this particular operation. And we realised that actually the organisers are not from democracy camp. They are from the other side. And the operator, as far as we can see, is not based in Hong Kong, but somewhere in Shuhai. So I think it tells a lot about what sort of people became so curious and interested in not only the number of people participating, but also the gender and age profiles of voters taking part in the primaries. I think they were trying to strategize and plan ahead and to mobilize their resources according to the turnout of the primaries. We have our observers being able to gather information accordingly. Some of our servers managed to speak to those collecting the data and they simply find out, as we spoke about, where they were sending the data to. The Hong Kong Medical Association is urging the government to hand out special medical coupons to everyone in Hong Kong, so anyone who suspects they may have caught COVID-19 can see a private doctor and get tested. The group's suggesting that everyone should get around $3,000 worth of coupons, seeing as that's how much consultation and testing fees can cost. Association President Choi Kin says this can alleviate the burden on public hospitals and be an incentive for underprivileged people who'd normally balk at such high costs to go see a doctor. The coupons will be used for assessment as well as for the test itself. Whether we are going to test the RNA or whether we're going to do a deep probe saliva test. The test could be made available to citizens through the lab. If we have enough PPE, the protective garments, then the doctors can do the nasal swab test in their office. State media says one of the country's candidate coronavirus vaccines could be ready for public use by the end of the year. China National Pharmaceutical Group said it expects to finish late-stage human testing within about three months. It has thousands of people taking part in stage three trials in the United Arab Emirates. China has launched its first mission aimed at landing a rover on Mars. A rocket took off from Wunchang on Hainan Island. The probe is expected to arrive in orbit around Mars in February next year. Here's the BBC's Jonathan Amos. The Tianwen rover will aim for the giant Utopia plain just north of the planet's equator to study the region's rocks and look for ice. To succeed, though, it'll have to overcome the infamous seven minutes of terror, the time it takes to slow a high-velocity entry into Mars' atmosphere and avoid crashing into the ground. To date, only America has truly mastered the technology necessary to negotiate this perilous drop to the dusty world's surface. The FBI says a Chinese researcher suspected of visa fraud and hiding ties to the military has fled to Beijing's consulate in San Francisco. The BBC's Stephen McDonnell has more details. There's a woman who was a researcher at the University of California, Davis, who'd lied on her visa application about her affiliation with the People's Liberation Army. Now, she apparently, they're saying, put on her application. She had nothing to do with the military here. But the FBI got a warrant, raided her house and say they've found evidence of this. She's been charged with visa fraud, but has we're told, entered the San Francisco consulate of the Chinese government and now the FBI is saying that that they're harbouring a wanted person. Court documents filed by the Bureau also reveal other Chinese researchers in the US have been arrested for visa fraud. 
Scientists say they've deciphered the genetic blueprint of six bat species. The researchers hope that the work could eventually lead to new treatments for infections such as COVID-19, which is thought to have originated in bats. Professor Emma Teeling from University College Dublin is a lead researcher in the project. Bats are extraordinary animals. They have this extraordinary longevity. They resist ageing. They don't get cancer as they should. But also, they have this potential high tolerance of viruses. And so I'm very interested in trying to understand what are the mechanisms that bats have evolved to be able to not die of these SARS-like coronaviruses. The Australian government has said measures to protect the economy from the effects of the coronavirus have resulted in the largest budget deficit since the Second World War. Australia has registered far fewer cases of COVID-19 than many developed nations, but hundreds of new infections are recorded daily. The Australian Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, said Australia was facing its first recession in decades. Australia is experiencing a health and economic crisis like nothing we have seen in the last 100 years. Tragically, 128 Australians have lost their lives as a result of COVID-19. And as we stand here today, more than 5 million of my fellow Victorians are in lockdown. An entire Italian police station has been put into administration after six members of the paramilitary police there were arrested on suspicion of controlling the local drug dealers and torturing those who resisted. Another four officers from the northern city of Piacenza are under investigation. Photos showed them flaunting wads of cash and drinking champagne. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports. The behaviour is classic mafioso criminal but apparently done by those charged with upholding the law. A group of Carabinieri military police in the northern Italian city of Piacenza are under investigation, with five detained and a sixth under house arrest. Their accusations include drug dealing, embezzlement, torture and receiving stolen property. Tapped phone calls revealed how the group operated, using violence and extortion to sell marijuana and cocaine, believing they were untouchable. Nearly one and a half million Americans applied for unemployment benefits this past week. The number has come down from the peak of almost seven million in late March, but data suggests any recovery in the labour market may be running out of steam, as the BBC's Michelle Fleury explains. In parts of the country where infection rates are soaring, the recovery in the jobs market may be going backwards. The level of claims suggests many workers are being laid off, in some cases for a second time. Efforts to reopen the economy after businesses shut down to help contain the pandemic have been bumpy. Several states have imposed new restrictions on bars and restaurants as coronavirus cases have gone up. And the tens of millions of jobless Americans making a claim may soon see a sharp drop in their benefits. If Congress doesn't act, extra unemployment payments worth $600 a week will run out at the end of the month. The news from RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. An expert on infectious diseases says further restrictions such as a full ban on in-restaurant dining could prevent Hong Kong from having to resort to a full lockdown after the Territory confirmed a record 118 new COVID-19 cases today. Dr Joseph Tsung told Joanne Wong that the persistent surge in coronavirus cases shows something more must be done. 
if you look at the case number, it is really shocking to all of us. And more than half of them are untraceable. Around 60% were untraceable. But if you look back to the first week of July, the untraceable numbers is roughly around 20 to 30%. So there is an increasing creeping up of the percentage of the untraceable cases. So this is something that we are worrying. So in view of this, I think the government is right now ramping up the preventive measures to battle this escalating health crisis. I think is justified. So I do think that in the coming days, we all need to be more vigilant about our personal hygiene, especially wearing masks, as well as to keep social distancing with others. Even though you agree with the government's uh, tightening, tightened social distancing measures, you, you think that it's not doing enough right now? I think we have to further tighten up the measures, such as we have to advise the corporates as well as the government to allow their staff to work at home instead of going to the office. Apart from that, we should also not allowing people to have meals or breakfast during the morning as well as in the lunchtime at the places outside in the restaurants or any other places. I think this is something that the government should consider. And what about a lockdown? Should we go for a lockdown soon? Lockdown measures is considered to be a nuclear bomb measures as a whole to Hong Kong society. In order to avoid these measures, I think we should first to scale up some of the preventive measures first. You mentioned that a lockdown would be a nuclear option. Can you elaborate on this point? I would consider complete lockdown as uh, nuclear bomb measures to Hong Kong society as a whole. The reason behind is people, especially the elderly, they cannot go out and uh, they cannot be cared by others. So this is something that I don't want to see. Apart from that, it will definitely affect the stock market as well as the financial centers of Hong Kong. So this is something that I really don't want to happen. Apart from that, the lockdown will also affects the daily activities of the Hong Kong people, no matter physically or psychologically. Hong Kong people have been pretty vigilant since the start of the coronavirus crisis. A lot of, like you saw them lining up for face masks and cleaning products. What's your observation on the public's response with the recent spike in local cases? At the very beginning of July, I think Hong Kong people is somehow a little bit relaxed, a little bit careless about the infection control practice by not wearing masks, by not keeping adequate social distancing, having too many parties or any gatherings. But as the third wave outbreaks appears, right now the Hong Kong people are more vigilant about their personal hygiene. They are scared, they are fear about being infected. I do think that Hong Kong people, they are quite uh, followed the advice from the government as well as from the professors. So what left behind is the government should somehow look up whether there is any other loopholes present in the societies as well as in the borders, which can somehow allow some of the asymptomatic cases being sneaking into our society. Do you see any loopholes? Right now, um, 
I think there are some loopholes. There are still have some people being exempted from going for testings. I think we should broaden up or try to extend the categories of people coming into Hong Kong. I think all people coming into Hong Kong as a travelers, they should undergo viral testings. An associate professor in obstetrics and gynaecology says pregnant women don't have to be overly concerned that they could potentially pass on the coronavirus to their unborn babies, given that they practice good hygiene. A pregnant woman who has COVID-19 delivered her baby via emergency caesarean section yesterday, but the newborn has now tested negative for the virus. Professor Noel Sheck said data from the UK shows only around 1% of babies born to infected mothers get the virus themselves. She spoke to Wendy Wong. If they catch COVID-19, they, they have a chance of going into um, acute um, respiratory distress um, but so far from the data, not um, all women will suffer um, um, severely as such. So there are about 10% of patients who may require intensive care because of uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome. But that will be the data from uh, overseas because we don't have many um, pregnant women being affected by the condition at the moment. So there are studies comparing uh, worldwide data uh, in terms of the uh, complication of uh, COVID in pregnant and non-pregnant women. So they found no, no difference. So the pregnant population probably have the same complication rate as non-pregnant um, people. So you treated a woman infected with COVID in her early pregnancy, but she recovered quickly, right? That's right. She only needs supportive treatment and actually she didn't require any antiviral drugs at all. But how about a 34-week pregnant woman who needed an emergency C-section on Wednesday? What made the situation complicated? I, I didn't manage that case, so I cannot answer on behalf of the doctors. But of course, a lot of factors have to be taken into consideration uh, to decide the timing of delivery. So say, for example, any obstetric complication, whether there's any pregnancy complications, or if the mother or the baby suffer as a result of COVID-19. Are there any ways doctors can check if a baby has been infected in a mother's womb? Uh, I'm afraid um, if we need to check the baby, it has to be done after birth. So there are several ways of checking that. Uh, firstly, we can take swabs from the baby, um, like from the nasal swabs, the rectal swabs, um, and also we can do um, teeth testing on the placenta to see if there is evidence of the virus, and we can also check blood from the baby. Um, to see if the baby got the infection. So how likely is it that a baby could be infected by the mother if she got COVID-19? Uh, that's a very good question. And to be honest, there are very few number of cases so far worldwide. So um, the the, the uh, likelihood may change uh, when we encounter more cases. So, so far, um, looking at international data, there is indeed... Um, uh, a small number of uh, cases of baby contracting the infection. So we're talking about, uh, like in the UK, I just had a review. Uh, the, in the UK data, amount 400 odd women who had COVID-19. They were uh, four babies who were diagnosed of neonatal infection of COVID-19. 
The government has dismissed concerns raised by the European Union about Hong Kong people's freedoms. The new national security law is also a bone of contention, as Maggie Ho reports. In an annual report on Hong Kong that's published since the handover, the EU says key freedoms continued to be upheld in 2019 in general, but noted there were worrying trends in respect to freedom of speech, especially in relation to the anti-government protests. The report underlined the enactment of the anti-mask law and Beijing's suggestion that Hong Kong courts cannot rule on the constitutionality of local legislation. The EU says any steps to curb the prerogatives of the courts would undermine the autonomy vested in Hong Kong, including the independence of its judiciary and the rule of law. It also says the government had only limited engagement with the protest movement. The EU's urged the government to give a convincing response to the grievances expressed through the protests to try to maintain Hong Kong's stability in the long term. It called for the resumption of political reform and setting up of an electoral system that is democratic, fair, open and transparent. According to the report, universal suffrage would give the Hong Kong government greater public support and legitimacy, which would help in attaining Hong Kong's economic objectives and tackling its socio-economic challenges. On the recently introduced national security law, the EU High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, Josep Borrell, said the EU will not simply stand back and watch as China attempts to curtail the SAR's freedoms. He said the EU is working on a comprehensive and coordinated response to what it describes as the draconian law. The SAR government hit back. In a statement, it said the EU is concerned about the erosion of a high degree of autonomy and people's rights and freedoms are totally unfounded. A government spokesman called sanctions by foreign countries targeting Hong Kong flagrant violations of international law and not in the interest of Hong Kong people and the SAR's partners. The government's called on EU member states to adopt a pragmatic and rational attitude and bear in mind the mutually benefit relations between the two sides. Sweden has come under intense global scrutiny for keeping much of society open during COVID-19 and having ended up with one of Europe's highest death tolls in relation to its population size has led to increasing pressure on the Swedish government to change tack. But there's been a sharp drop in deaths and serious cases this month without a lockdown. So have critics been too quick to judge the country's unusual strategy? Maddie Savage reports from Arsunda in central Sweden. Beach towels line the sandy shores at Lake Storhern, where you can camp in a pine forest or have a beer on the waterfront. Staycations here are popular this summer, with Sweden's high COVID-19 death rate causing some countries, including its Nordic neighbours, to ban most Swedish visitors. My name is Dan and this is Håkan. We are here with the boat. What do you think about Sweden's approach to the crisis? Maybe we should have taken some more care for each other. Do you think there should have been a lockdown or stricter rules? Yeah, I think it would have been a lockdown. My name is Eva Britt. We believe that they have the right strategy. We trust on them. With bars, shops and most schools staying open throughout the pandemic, the goal of the Swedish authorities was to slow the spread of COVID-19 with social distancing recommendations and bans on large gatherings and visits to elderly care homes. 
but Sweden's death rate rocketed to one of the highest in Europe, with around 55 fatalities per 100,000 people. Compare that to around 10 in Denmark and less than five in Norway, which both chose to lock down early and weren't impressed with their neighbour. Over the past few weeks, though, the Swedish Public Health Agency's news conferences have suggested a brighter picture. The number of daily deaths and admissions to intensive care is mostly down to single figures. Still not as low as elsewhere in the Nordics, but a clear improvement. Of course, it feels good. I mean, finally, we are where we hoped we would be much earlier on. That's Anders Tegnell, the country's state epidemiologist, who says the figures prove Swedes have been social distancing without a lockdown. My models measure that we have about 30% of the social interactions that we used to have before the pandemic. So it's definitely worked quite a lot. What about herd immunity? It wasn't the point of the Swedish strategy, but something that you thought would be an outcome, spoke very strongly about. But studies suggest only about 6% of people in Sweden are known to have antibodies. Immunity is definitely a lot higher than 6%, exactly how high, has proven to be surprisingly difficult to measure. Whatever level they are at will help us to minimise uh, any kind of second outbreak, second wave. History will be the judge of whether his predictions come true, with critics here suggesting he's too optimistic and concerned Swedes are starting to mingle and party more due to the warmer weather. Earlier in the pandemic, there were also hopes avoiding a lockdown would shield Sweden's economy. It is on track to do better than hard-hit countries like Italy and the UK, but forecasters predict it will still shrink by around 5%, similar to other Nordic countries despite their tougher restrictions. Sweden's controversial strategies also having a political impact. Public confidence in the government dropped. Prime Minister Stefan Levien recently announced a coronavirus commission to look into the country's response after sharpening debates about the death toll. Hi, Helen. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you fine. I got more analysis on a video call with Helen Limberg, a senior lecturer in government at Uppsala University. There is a high stake for the sitting government right now. We delegated a lot of responsibility to regional and municipal levels. But also we have a almost blind trust in, in our public health agency and then complacency in this. Back on the beach, few of the holidaymakers seem bothered about how all of this is affecting Sweden's global image. But there is a lot to win or lose as the crisis continues. If Covid deaths here remain low while other countries spike, then Sweden's strategy might have a better legacy in the longer term. But any new rise in serious cases will send the country into much choppier waters. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Late night music, Kevin Lewis, Radio 3. I think I'm gonna be sad.
And the Beatles, of course, from 1965, um, taken from their Help album, their fifth uh, studio album from the Beatles' Ticket to Ride. Smile for me. The Bachelors. My dying. I'm in heaven. When I see you smile 